Welcome to the Secretary Survey, the Irish Pre-Hospital Podcast. Hi, I'm Joe, and welcome to this month's episode of the Secondary Survey. And in this month, we're looking at diabetes. Joining me this month is Stephen. He's going to give an introduction to what is diabetes and to look at hypoglycemia. And I'm going to look at hyperglycemia and also look at DKA or diabetic ketoacidosis. Thanks, Joe. So I suppose let's have a little think about what is diabetes first and how prevalent it is in Ireland and around the world. The WHO states that 422 million people live with diabetes around the world and diabetes Ireland estimate that just over 266,000 people are living with diabetes in Ireland. So if we want to think about what is diabetes and diabetes really is a problem with sugar, how our body regulates the sugar and how our body uses the sugar. And why is diabetes such an important disease to think about? Because ultimately the body is able to utilize glucose to create fuel for different bodily functions. And when we think about diabetes, we think about two types of diabetes. We have type 1 diabetes and type 2. Type 1 diabetes generally talks about when there isn't insulin in the body, i.e. your body doesn't produce insulin for a number of reasons. One reason being an autoimmune disease where the body stops producing insulin in the pancreas. And type 2 then talks about how your body builds up a resistance to the insulin. And whenever I'm describing diabetes to patients or even to, to students and stuff, I always think about the, the lock and key metaphor. So if you think of diabetes, that every cell in your body needs sugar or glucose as part of the source of fuel, but that sugar can't get into the cells naturally. So insulin acts as a sort of a key to the door to allow the sugar into the cells. And in type 1 diabetes, we don't have the key. Whereas in type 2, because of overuse of insulin, your body starts to build up a resistance. So think of it, in type 2, the lock that you put the key into starts to get worn. And if you think of it that way, then, you know, understanding the differences in type 1 and type 2, I think, start to get a little bit easier. And insulin is a really important hormone for controlling a blood glucose. And in type 1 diabetes, we don't produce it enough. And we need to think about type 1 generally when we're talking about diabetes is found at younger age. Many type 1 diabetics become very sick and when they get investigated, they might find that they're hyperglycemic or even in DKA. And it can happen at any age, but traditionally it's always been thought of as a young person's disease. Whereas type 2 diabetes is generally a chronic condition, a long-term condition, and it's generally later on in life people develop type 2 diabetes. And when you want to think about diabetes, we need to think about the different symptoms we're going to have. And depending on your cause, whether it's hypoglycemia, so low blood sugars, or hyper, high blood sugars will depend on your symptoms. Hypoglycemia is more of a quicker onset, so you're talking minutes to an hour generally, where your blood sugars will start to drop down, and you're going to get symptoms like confusion, agitation, fatigue, and as the sugars keep dropping, you're going to start mimicking drunkenness, you're going to get cold and clammy skin, and eventually as your sugars continue to drop, you're going to just become unconscious. And that unconsciousness then is where we need to think about where it goes from being a smaller problem to a much larger problem. Because as you become unconscious, then you're going to start getting airway issues and eventually oxygenation issues. Whereas a hyperglycemia tends to happen over days to weeks. 
that your blood sugars will build up and build up and you're going to get different sorts of symptoms. So you're going to become thirsty. You might increase urination and feeling tired, hungry, and you're going to potentially maybe start to emit a sweet smell off your breath. Okay, and I'm sure Joel touched a bit on that a bit more when we're talking about hyperglycemia later. And the symptoms at one point are, are quite important because not everybody in first aid terms is able to test blood sugars. While people who are diabetic, certainly type 1 diabetics, will test their blood sugars regularly, type 2 diabetics may not test their blood sugars regularly. So at a first aid level, recognizing symptoms and having a suspicion about somebody who may be diabetic is the first step. Certainly at EMT level and above, we are provided with glucometers that we can use to draw a small amount of capillary blood and test that with the glucometer to see what the blood sugar levels are and treat accordingly. Now, there's no real consensus as to how we test the blood sugars. So depending on which people you talk to, some people recommend that you wipe the finger with alcohol wipes. Other people recommend you don't. Other people recommend that you uh, use sterile gauze to wipe away the first drop. Other people recommend that you just use the first drop. There's recommendations not to milk the capillary bed for blood because all these things may affect the reading. But in all the studies I've looked at, it's not really conclusive as to which is the best procedure in doing that. And the general rule of thumb would be to make sure that the capillary bed that you're taking the blood sample from is clean. And then if it's clean, you don't really need to use an alcohol wipe. And that seems to be the kind of accepted norm at the moment. But again, follow your service procedures with regards how to prepare and take blood sugar. But just knowing the fact that in general, there is no real consensus as to which is the best method for doing it. But as long as the method is standard, you should get uh, reasonable readings. Making sure that obviously the fingers of the patient aren't covered in sugar. If you've just been giving glucose gel for example which we'll talk about in a second that your gloves aren't covered in sugar all things like that are really important okay and remember that this is just one part of your assessment to the patient and if your glucometry reading doesn't make sense to what's happening with the patient for example you do a glucometry reading of a patient and you get a very low reading but the patient is fully alert well then maybe there's a problem with either the glucometer or maybe the capillary bed isn't perfused enough so just as with everything, always look at the patient when assessing what readings you're getting. And then you do your test and it comes back with low blood sugar. And what is low blood sugar? So normal blood sugars are anywhere between four to eight millimoles. And we consider hypoglycemia as anything less than four. So anything less than four, generally we're going to treat for hypoglycemia. And the treatment is done depending on the condition of the patient. So if the patient is able to swallow, i.e. they're conscious and they're able to take on carbohydrates, then we want to give them fast-acting carbohydrates. Now, in general, in, in the ambulance or in first aid posts, uh, whether you're on duty or whether you're working in a professional service, you'll have options available to you. So at EMT level and above, you'll have glucose gel, glucagon, and then at AP level, you're going to have the option of intravenous dextrose 10%. Now, realistically, what you give will depend on the patient's presentation. So if someone's conscious and if somebody is able to take oral supplementation of glucose, then giving them oral food is probably the best bet if you have it available. But it's fast-acting carbohydrates is what we're looking for. The glucose gel that's carried in many medications bags, 
contains about 10 grams of glucose for the 20 grams of glucose gel that's there. So again, we're looking to give probably in around the 10 to 20 grams of glucose gel initially for somebody, waiting for that glucose gel to be absorbed into the body, see if there's a response and repeat that if required. If the patient is less than alert or less than conscious, so unconscious and isn't able to swallow, then the options really are an IM glucagon injection. And glucagon will basically allow any stored sugars that are in the liver to be released into the bloodstream to be used to increase the blood sugar levels. But that will only work if there's stored sugars within the liver. With glucagon, you're giving one milligram of glucagon IM injection into a large muscle group. And hopefully if there's stored sugars in the liver, those sugars are released, which will help the patient to recover. The other option, if you have an advanced paramedic available is to get IV access and thinking about 10% dextrose. As an advanced paramedic, you need to be thinking of trying to put a, the largest cannula into a good vein so that you have a stable vein with really good access that won't be at risk of tissue necrosis. Because if we get glucose into the surrounding tissues of the cannula, then you're going to have a higher risk of tissue necrosis from the high dextrose concentration in the fluid. And we're again, we're giving 250 mils of dextrose bolus and seeing how the patient reacts. Spot on. Yeah, so I think the glucagon is an important one because we understand that once we drain the stores of the glycogen in the liver, that they take about 24 to 48 hours to build back up. So someone, for example, who is an alcoholic or alcohol dependent or a heavy drinker, they might have depleted their glycogen stores over years of heavy drinking. So the glucagon mightn't actually work back to your assessment and you know if you're getting a strange reading and there's, there's just no reaction no reaction that maybe having a chat with the family and getting a family history around oh by the way he's quite a heavy drinker for the last 30 years and your glucagon isn't working that you might have to step it up to a higher clinical level to see if they can get some dextrose in and, and get it working also would it be fair to say that just going back to type one and type two type one you're born with it and type two would be a lifestyle impact um I'm not so sure you'd say born with it because generally it can happen at any age per se, as in, you know, you could have an autoimmune reaction with your pancreas at any age in particular. But generally speaking, type 1 diabetics tend to be a younger age, so kind of puberty into early adolescence, younger kids as well, potentially. But I wouldn't say born with it because there's many kids who are born with normal functioning pancreases that go on to develop type 1 diabetes as they develop when they're aging and whereas type 2 is probably a fair enough comment to say that it's, it's very much lifestyle dependent and type 2 diabetes is a growing problem within the healthcare system in ireland and and all over the world in certainly in the western world and i would imagine majority of people are going to you know not majority of people but it's going to be a, an ever bigger burden on our healthcare system as, as time goes on and it's going to be an ever bigger burden on us as certainly shift working healthcare professionals who are working in an environment where we don't have regular meal breaks, we don't have regular sleep patterns, you know, you're potentially grabbing fast food on the go, you're potentially not exercising properly, you're potentially definitely not sleeping properly, and you're eating in the middle of the night when you should be asleep. All these things, and there's good evidence to show that all these things really don't contribute to a healthy lifestyle. And again, they're all really good ways of getting type 2 diabetes. So it's, it's, it's something that we 
probably aren't good enough at dealing with as healthcare professionals ourselves, like trying to eat healthier, you know, trying to exercise a bit more, trying to not eat in the middle of the night, trying not to have that can of Coke. Um, other colas are available at, um, <laughs> you know, at three, at three or four in the morning. Do you know, it's, it's, and it's, it's when your body should be asleep, you know, that, that circadian rhythm in the middle of the night where we're supposed to be asleep and us, everything's supposed to be dialing down and resting and recovering. You're throwing, you know, a load of glucose into your body and your body has gone in overdrive to try and deal with that. And that all over time leads to damage in our body. And again, it certainly paves the path for type 2 diabetes in later life. We're definitely at a high risk of it as shift workers and healthcare professionals in general. So it's just something that's worth mentioning at that point as well. Thanks, Dave. So I'm going to start looking at hyperglycemia. The diabetes.org.uk classifies hyperglycemia as a blood sugar of over 7 millimoles before a meal or 8.5 millimoles two hours after a meal. We usually don't intervene in Ireland if the blood sugar is below 20 millimoles, but we need to be aware that blood sugars above 7.7 in a non-diabetic patient is a sign of infection and is one of our SARS markers. So if the blood sugar is between 11 and 20, we need to closely monitor the patient and check the ketone measurements. So before we actually go into DKA or diabetic ketoacidosis, let's talk about ketone measurements. Firstly, what are they? Ketone bodies are water-soluble molecules that contain ketones and are produced from fatty acid in the liver. This process is called ketogenesis. In a non-diabetic people, there is a constant amount of ketones produced and they are used by the liver and a normal level is maintained around one milligram per diluted litre, or in normal English, one milligram in one tenth of a litre. The normal amount of ketones in urine is undetectable by routine urine tests. So, are we testing ketones in the pre-hospital care in Ireland? No, not yet. In our latest round of CPGs, the ketone measurement is a non-core skill which means that it doesn't need to be carried out by all CPG providers for all CPGs. But hopefully, in the future, it will be adopted by all pre-hospital organisations. And if we have a high ketone reading and are able to relay this information to the emergency department, that the continuation of care can happen quicker for the patient. So what is a high ketone? So we take the blood sugar, like Stephen was explaining earlier on, on the glucometer, and it comes up 25 or 26, or it might even come up just high. And then we take our ketones out and it comes up 2.7. So 1.6 to 2.9 means that you are increased risk of diabetic ketoacidosis. And over 3 means you are a high risk of DKA. So what is DKA or diabetic ketoacidosis? It can be a life-threatening condition and is most commonly, but not always, found in type 1 diabetics. But we also need to be aware that type 2 diabetics can develop DKA. So the signs and symptoms of DKA, lethargicness, thirsty, high blood sugars, high ketones, feeling sick, abdo pain, deep and fast breathing, confusion, and also an increased need for urination. But also what can happen is because of the electrolyte imbalance, it can affect the actual cells in the heart and it can actually change the shape of the heart. Diabetic ketoacid induced tokusubo and tokusubo comes from a Japanese octopus fishing pot and that's where the name from it's actually one of our recognized STEMI mimics for heart attacks in the pre-hospital environment we put a 12 lead on for chest pain and an inferior STEMI comes up and uh, we ring the cat lab and they accept them bring them in and there's no clot 
and it's a usually a cardiac myopathy Takasubo. Uh, so also known as broken heart syndrome so when you hear someone goes oh their wife died and he died two weeks later with broken heart syndrome it's absolutely true Takasubo is a real thing and so is broken heart syndrome so because it actually changes the shape of the left ventricle they can go into cardiac arrest or cardiac arrhythmias so these patients should be handled really gently or like a porcelain doll even when transferring the patient from the ambulance trolley to the hospital bed and resource they hand over from one bed to another should be done as gently as possible. Any rough handling of these patients can lead to life-threatening conditions. So the treatment pre-hospital. So we take a high blood sugar, we take a high ketones, we give the hospital a ring. What are we going to do? We're going to get a wide bore IV access and give them a load of fluids and diesel. Get them to the hospital as soon as possible because they need further treatment for their DKA. And that treatment is actually insulin But it's also sugar because you don't want to drop the sugar really quick either in these patients. So they give fluids, they give insulin and they give dextrose. But also what they need to know from our point of view is when was the last time their last long acting insulin was taken? So their Lantus or whatever long acting insulin they're on, other long acting insulins are available. So they need to know that because they don't want to drop the sugars too quickly. So basically DKA, you go in, they have a high sugar. They've high ketones. They might have a really bad abdo pain. They might be feeling nausea. They haven't been feeling well over the last few days and they can be really, really sick. So just be really gentle with these patients and get them to hospital as quick as possible. So I suppose talking about diabetes, we've talked about hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia and it's quite a common, potentially common problem, hypoglycemia. And certainly it's one of the things that needs to be ruled out when we're dealing with patients who have an altered level of consciousness. Likewise, patients who are showing stroke-like symptoms should all have their blood sugar levels tested. And we need to be really careful as first aiders, pre-hospital care providers, in-hospital care providers, that people who are acting abnormally or maybe acting as if they're drunk, that we make sure that blood sugars are within normal limits because One of the symptoms of hypoglycemia, especially, is mimicking drunkenness. And I only came across a recent case where I was dealing with a patient who was brought to me and the assumption was the patient was drunk. The patient was after drinking a large amount of alcohol and the patient was placed to sober up. And while doing an assessment on that patient, I, as standard practice, I did a blood sugar on a patient who had an altered level of consciousness and it came back that their sugars were two. And it'd be a very easy trap to fall into where you make the assumption that that patient is just drunk and you're going to leave them sober up in the corner. All the while, their blood sugars are getting lower and lower and lower. So again, just remembering, altered level of consciousness, stroke symptoms, generally unwell, it's a reasonably good practice to test for blood sugars. And that doesn't mean that every patient needs to have their blood sugars tested, but certainly from an altered level of consciousness, stroke symptoms, generally unwell, we want to be testing those blood sugars. And obviously anybody who's got a history of diabetes as well. Yeah, that's perfect, Stephen. Uh, And I absolutely agree. If anyone will an altered level of consciousness or appears to be just not themselves, uh, I think a a blood sugar level is a basic standard level of care that we should be providing in the pre-hospital community. So thank you all very much for tuning into this episode of the Secretary Survey on diabetes. We hope you enjoyed it. Please give us a like and a share and a tweet or drop a comment. Follow us on all social media platforms. 
Twitter and Facebook usually. And we hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you very much and take care and we'll talk to you next month. All information recorded is solely the opinion of the presenters and their guests. They do not represent the views of the employers nor associated with any establishment or service provider. Content is not to be taken as medical advice and should not affect established guidelines and protocols. Thank you for listening. Take care.